If you want to sit back down, we'll then have our reading. While you're just getting back, our reading this afternoon is Ezra chapter 7 to chapter 8, which is on page 478 in the Church Bibles. It's page 478, and it's Ezra chapter 7 to 8. Ezra chapter 7. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalem, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Vinius, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. To Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, teacher of the law of the God of heaven, greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisers to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem, with regard to the Lord of your God, the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisers have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offerings of the people and priests to the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams and male lambs, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold, in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God, and anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply, you may provide from the royal treasury. Now I, King Artaxerxes, decree that all the treasures of Trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, may ask of you. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil, and salt without limit. Whatever the God has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? 
you are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute or duty on any of the priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God, and you will teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property or imprisonment. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honour to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favour to me before the king and his advisers and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. These are the family heads and those registered with them who came up with me from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. Of the descendants of Phinehas, Gershom. Of the descendants of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the descendants of David, Hattush. Of the descendants of Shechaniah. Of the descendants of Parosh, Zechariah, and with him were registered 150 men. Of the descendants of Pathar, Moab, Elihanoi, son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 men. Of the descendants of Zati, Shechaniah, son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men. Of the descendants of Adin, Ebed, son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men. Of the descendants of Elam, Jeshiah, son of Athaliah, and with him 70 men. Of the descendants of Sheftatiah, Zebediah, son of Michael, and with him 80 men. Of the descendants of Joab, Obadiah, son of Jehiel, and with him 218 men. Of the, of the descendants of Benai, Shalomith, son of Josephiah, and with him 160 men. Of the descendants of Bebiah, Zachariah, son of Bebiah, and with him 28 men. Of the descendants of Asgad, Jonathan, son of Hakatan, and with him 110 men. Of the descendants of Adonikam, the last ones whose names were Eliphalet, Jewel, and Shimamiah, and with them 60 men. Of the descendants of Bigvi, Othai, and Zachar, and with them 70 men. I assembled them at the canal that flows towards Ahava, and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So I summoned Eliezer, Ariel, Shemamiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zachariah, and Meshalem, who were leaders, and Joarib and Elnathan, who were men of learning. And I ordered them to go to Ido, the leader and pacifier. I told them what to say to Ido and his fellow Levites, the temple servants in Cassiphiah, that they might bring attendance to us to the house of our God. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought a Sherebiah, a capable man, from the descendants of Mali, son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers, eighteen in all, and Hashabiah, together with Jeshiah, from the descendants of Meriah, and his brothers and nephews, twenty men in all. They also brought 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and the officials had established to assist the Levites. All were registered by name. There, by the Yahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road, because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. 
So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, namely Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brothers. And I weighed out to them the offering of silver and gold, and the articles that the king, his advisers, his officials, and all Israel present there, present there had donated to the house of our God. I weighed out to them 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold valued at 1,000 darics, and two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. I said to them, you as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. The silver and gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priests and Levites and family heads of Israel. Then the priests and Levites received the silver and gold and sacred articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of our God in Jerusalem. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and it protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem, where we rested three days. On the fourth day, in the house of our God, we weighed out the silver and gold and the sacred articles into the hands of Merimoth, son of Uriah the priest. Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him, and so were the Levites, Josabad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Binui. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-six male lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and to the governors of Transphrates, who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. It's really great to see you here this afternoon. Welcome to Trinity on this bank holiday weekend. It's great to be together. I hope you're having a, a good time. Good. Why don't we pray as we begin? Shall we pray? We just um, sung these words. Let me read them again. May wandering hearts be warned from sin. May troubled souls find peace within. May Christ be our delight. Now, Father God, we pray that as we interact with you through the words of the Bible, so our wandering hearts will be brought back to you and our, our troubled souls will find peace in your name and, and that Jesus Christ and him crucified will be our delight. And, and we ask, Father, that you would focus our minds on the grace which is available unreserved, unreservedly and undeservedly through the death that Jesus Christ died for us and so begin to change us, we ask, from the inside out. And we ask these things humbly and in dependence on your sovereign hands. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, with um, lockdown coming to an end, and uh, with schools going back on Wednesday, is that right? There are all kinds of things that need to be rebuilt. Things that need to be rebuilt. Uh, Boris Johnson is saying that the uh, the economy needs to be rebuilt. I think that's true as a country. We borrowed, you know, 299 billion pounds uh, uh, from uh, 
uh, from other countries to fight the pandemic. £299 billion. Pounds. The economy needs to be rebuilt a little bit, so I, so I understand. Uh, if you're in education, we've got some teachers here, then a um, uh, number of things need to be um, rebuilt. Classroom teaching, GCSEs, A-levels, they, they need to get back on track. If you're an Arsenal fan, and, um, and you saw the team being demolished 5-0 by Man City yesterday, you'll know that your team needs to be rebuilt. Never say it's going to be a wasted year of humiliation. Don't, don't admit that. Just say you're in a period of rebuilding. It's time to, uh, to rebuild the team. You talk to Mikhail Arteta, and he will tell you that. It's the time of year where we start thinking about rebuilding, but, but uh, the book of Ezra... Is all about rebuilding God's people, rebuilding God's people. This is the, the, the fifth of six talks that we're going to spend looking at the book of Ezra. And God's people need to be rebuilt. That's the thing. And they've been through the disaster of the exile, the humiliation of the exile, the forced relocation of God's people to, uh, to another country. And they've started to come back to Jerusalem, just like the, just like the prophet Jeremiah said that they would. And, and they've got to work rebuilding the, um, the altar and the temple, as the prophets Haggai and Zechariah have encouraged them to do. But they still need rebuilding. The work is, isn't complete yet. And maybe you remember this diagram from, uh, from before. This is how the rebuilding happens in the book of Ezra. First of all, chapters 1 to 6. It's about rebuilding worship at the temple. Yeah? Hearts, altar, temple. That's, that's the beginning of the book. People relying on the sacrifice, coming back to the sacrifice to be put right with God all over again, despite significant opposition from the outside. Okay? That was all back in 539 BC under King Cyrus. And then there's a, a, a pause between chapters 6 and 7. Now, 57 years go past, 57 years, that's the equivalent gap to uh, 1964 to today. Okay, that's quite, quite a long time. And maybe it, maybe it seemed like the book of Ezra was over. But then you get chapter 7 to 10, which is all about restoring the obedience of the people. Despite significant opposition from the inside, I don't, I don't suppose any of us find it easy to, to obey God. God still has rebuilding work to do amongst his people. That's the point. As we come to the last few chapters of the book of Ezra, still got work to do. And, 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 and this is the point. Okay, this is the point. That God's rebuilding work is not complete until his people have learned to obey him. Okay, let me say that again. God's, building, God's rebuilding work is not complete until his people have learned to obey him. Yeah. But, but because the church is meant to show God's glory to the world, that, that's one of the things that we're here to do, Trinity Church. We're here to show God's glory to the world. We're, we're meant to show Islington and, and, and the rest of London what God looks like, what, what holiness looks like. We're supposed to mirror God's character. One of our, one of our roles. 
And, and yes, we begin at the sacrifice, you see, in, in chapters 1 to 6. We, we begin at the sacrifice. We stand at the foot of the cross and we say, thank you so much, Jesus Christ, that you died for me. You took all of my rubbish onto yourself and, and you're punished for that in full so that I now have nothing to fear from God's judgment. We've said that. I, you know, each of us, if, if we call ourselves a Christian, has to come to that point. I came to that point I don't know how many years ago, as a young teenager um, in August in a field in the Isle of Wight. Okay, I, I had to reach that point. Um, I, I cried tears. I realized that Jesus had made this sacrifice for me. But then, chapter 7 to 10, each of us needs to live differently as a result. God loves us too much to let us stay the same. We want to change and reflect his character to a watching world. So I'm just going to run quickly through um, chapters 7 to 8. Rachel, thank you so much uh, for, for, for reading those chapters to us. I don't know whether Rebecca and Martine, if you're watching, you're looking for some middle names for baby Lucas. There are plenty here. You know, Big Vi stands out. I don't know if you're, you know, Chef Tyre, if you're looking for middle names um, for your new baby. There are lots of names there, but there are lots of events as well. Let me quickly go through chapters 7 and 8 and explain to you what happens. And then I'm going to bring out two things that I think God wants us to hear from this part of the Bible. Have a look down at chapter 7 then. If you've got it there, it's going to be a massive help to me. Page 478 in, in these red Bibles. Page 478. And you'll notice that in, in the first 10 verses, Ezra comes to Jerusalem. That's, that's where it begins. Um, it's the first time that he appears in his own book. Uh, perhaps you'll wondering when Ezra was going to show up. Now, he's quite late to the book that bears his name, but he's here. He's here, and, and he's given quite a grand introduction. Look at verse 1. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. That's how we know they would come forwards in history. Um, Cyrus, uh, chapters 1 to 6, has given the throne to Darius. He's given it to Xerxes. Here's the one, he, he's the one who appears in the book of Esther, if you, if you know the book of Esther. And then he passes on the throne to Artaxerxes. So we're doing the reign of Artaxerxes, and then and then we pick it up in, in verse 1. Ezra, son of Sarias, son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitur, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra, that's quite specific, isn't it? It's hard to confuse him with anyone else at this point. This Ezra came up from Babylon. And, and, and because the Bible is consistently historical as well as theological, then we get the dates that it all happened. Have a look down at verse 9. And we translate it into our calendar, we know that he set off on the 8th of April, 458 BC. And then he rolls into town on the 4th of August, 458 BC. It was the anniversary of his arrival just a few weeks ago. 900 mile journey that he makes just to be with God's people. 
Um, not that he comes empty-handed, because in chapter 7, verses 11 to 28, he's carrying a copy of this letter from Artaxerxes. And, and, and it's not only that Artaxerxes has had this incredible change of heart. Back in chapter 4, he was telling them to, to stop building. And now he's telling them to start sacrificing. He's sort of holding them accountable. Verse 17, with this money, be sure to buy rams. He gives them the Islam, you're giving him, you know, 10 quid to Justin. Justin, spend it wisely. Okay, Artaxerxes is saying that to Ezra. He's saying, I want you to spend this on, on, on sacrifices. Not only that, but he started talking about the God of heaven. Do you notice that? In his letter, he talks about the God of heaven. Verse 23, um, he sort of respects God's wrath. He doesn't want God's, he fears God's wrath. Now, it's not a full profession of faith, uh, but, he, but he wants to be prayed for, and that's a start, you know? That's a start. Maybe, maybe he's been influenced by his stepmother, Esther, in court. Maybe Esther's been telling him a little bit about the God of heaven. And he's listened. How many of us have benefited from the power of a praying mum? Huh? So Ezra comes back to town, and he's, he's not empty-handed, nor is he alone. And that comes in chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 1. These are the family heads and those registered with them who came up with me, says Ezra, from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. And, and then there's the list. Do you know what's interesting about this list in, in chapter 8? Uh, according, according to the books on Ezra, I'll check this out a little bit. The very same families are coming back as came back in chapter 2. It's interesting, isn't it? Very same families. Sometimes faithfulness runs in families. You know? In fact, if you have a look down at chapter 8, verse 13, we learn something about the family of uh, Adonikam. Is, is that what we called it, Rachel? I can't, I can't remember. Verse 13, and the descendants of Adonikam, the last ones. In other words, they're the last ones of the family. They've all come back. The last few members of the family have headed back to Jerusalem. Maybe you'll be part of a church family like that. Huh? 57 years' time, there are still faithful people who want to serve God, who want to take risks for the sake of, of the kingdom. And we won't be here, but um, Jonathan, I mean, might be here. Do you think? Jonathan, you think you might be here in 57 years' time? Let's pray you might. <laughs> Jonathan's shaking his head. Please no. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Faithful people returning to the land. But woven into all of these events are two big themes as God rebuilds his people, as he teaches them to be obedient. And here's the first one. Two things that are necessary for the rebuilding of God's people. Here's the first one. A leader obsessed with God's word. That's what's needed, number one. A leader who is obsessed with God's word. Um, I was reading just the other day about John Bunyan. He was a, he was a Christian preacher, 
who wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. You might have come across that. And another famous preacher, of course, Virgil was, was writing about him. This is what he said about John Bunyan. Let's see that there on the screen. Read anything of his, and you will see that it is almost like the reading of the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with scripture. Prick him anywhere. His blood is biblion. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. Amazing thing to say about someone. And you get the feeling that the same could have been said of Ezra. The same thing could have been said of him. You see it in chapter 7, verse 6. It comes all the way through these two chapters. Come with me to chapter 7, verse 6. Down on page 478. It's, um, it's this Ezra that came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He's well versed in the, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible. His expertise and his passion is, is found in the Word of God. For exactly the same point comes out in, in verse 14. This is Artaxerxes talking about him now. Chapter 7, verse 14. Artaxerxes says, You were sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Perhaps he knew. I don't know whether he meant that literally. Perhaps he knew that Ezra walked around with God's word in his hand. Maybe he meant it metaphorically. But the point is that Ezra didn't keep the, didn't keep the word of God squirreled away in his bedside drawer, sort of lost at the bottom of his handbag. And the, the law's in his hand in the sense that he knows it. Knows it's inside blood is biblical. Speaks the word of God himself. Not just that, he does it. Um, have a look at, at verse 10, it's the best. Verse 10, chapter 7, verse 10. Have a look down at that. Nathan's very ready on this verse. But Ezra had devoted himself study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. In the original, it's, it's really emphatic. Really emphatic. This is what it says. Of Ezra, it says, he caused his heart to be fixed on seeking out the Torah and to do it and to teach it. If you're a Bible teacher here, then you'll know how easy it is to go from reading the text to teaching the text and forgetting the middle part. But to do it, but Ezra does pass it on to verse 25, says that. Have a look down at chapter 7, verse 25. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Transcriptates, all who know the laws of your God. Your God knows this, not just the God, your God. 
and you are to teach any who do not know them. Jesus taking on teaching. He used to have a, a multiplication ministry. He used to, in the way that Paul tells Timothy, he used to teach people who are going to teach people who are going to teach people. If you've just, you just got one preacher, there's sort of fixed rate. He becomes the rate limiting step. Yeah. Then you've got one teacher. There's only a certain rate at which he can teach other people. If he's teaching teachers, there's no end to the people who about the glory of his God. That's why Trinity, we try and encourage Bible teachers. It's at least small groups and one-to-ones and teach the scramblers upstairs. You know, we, we, we want to teach people how to teach. that's what Jesus did. Ezra's a picture of, of Jesus. Because we, we have a leader in, in Jesus Christ. He's the one that we follow. And he's obsessed with the word of God. He loved people. And so he taught constantly teaching them. And, 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 and the Old Testament is just overflowing from his thinking all the time. You see, 78 times in four short Gospels, he directly quotes the Old Testament 78 times. He knows God's Word. And he does God's Word. He, he, he does it. He never asks us to do something that he hasn't done himself. He's, he, he bears the scars of battle. Jesus Christ does. He bears the wounds of combat. He knows the struggle. teaches God's word all the time. You know that common response to Jesus in the Gospels? People say all the time, he teaches as one who has authority. People say over and over again, yeah? And, and then more than that, he gives his disciples the Great Commission. Um, do, do you know why Trinity Church is called Trinity Church? Just as an aside. Short answer, because the Great Commission is Trinitarian. Thank you. We say the Great Commission, seriously. But listen to this. You'll see it up on the screen. Closing words. Jesus' words to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're, we're, we're to learn obedience. God's work of rebuilding us as a church is not complete until we've learned obedience from, 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 from Jesus Christ. I wonder what in all of us is written down in play. That's in the Bible, I guess. All of us have sort of blind spots in our lives. I don't know, why does the Bible still need to bite in, in your life? I need to ask myself the same question. Maybe, maybe you need to learn to be a servant. Maybe you need to learn that it's not all about you. Maybe you need to learn not to get angry. The Bible says that doesn't bring about the righteous life that God commands. Maybe you need to learn not to criticize. The Bible says only say things that are useful for building others up. 
blind spots we have or inconsistencies. We need to learn obedience from Jesus Christ. Christ lives. People have been saved by a sacrifice, living holy lives, showing the world what a holy God looks like. And then we need to receive his commission to teach it to one another. That's the New Testament model. We're teaching and encouraging one another in, 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 in God's word. Is there something you can pass on to, to other people, whether you're a church leader or not? Is your blood bibline? Is your soul full of the word of God? So that when, I don't know, when you're praying with someone in their hospital bed or you're talking to them on, on, on the mobile, praying with someone who's gone through a broken relationship, whatever, those words just come to mind. They just flow out in your prayers. You love the word of God. You know, God's word just woven not in not only into our prayers but into our into our conversation. We're coming soon to the start of a new academic year. I wonder if you're you know, my desire is to know the word of God better. Really drink it in. Uh, Rachel, we're gonna be saying goodbye to you today. Saturday for all of us. Um, I haven't asked you this, but I, I hope, I, you know, pray that you'll be able to say that you know the Bible better now than you did 14 years ago. It's a ministry to you. And if we're going to be rebuilt as a church, then we need to know and to do and to teach the Word of God until we show the world what a holy God looks like. just in case we thought that was something we were going to do in our own strength. And there's a second point which is woven into these chapters as well, and we'll deal with that a little bit more briefly. Something else that we need. Second point. What do we need? A humble dependence on God's gracious heart. Humble dependence on God's gracious heart. Um, do you know they told us at medical school you can make 15 diagnoses from examining a patient's hands. Okay, apparently that's true. Um, so um, look at your hands for a minute. Um, all kinds of things you can you can tell. You look at the um, color of the nails, shape of the nails. Side of your it's very important. Uh, veins on the back of your hand. Um, look at the palms. Uh, pinch the skin. You can see how quickly it goes back. Skin turgle. Uh, it tells you a bit about how hydrated you are, um, shape of the bones in your hands, any contractures. I've probably got you worried now, haven't I? You're probably thinking, I'm going to die. Um, this is the point, it's not a, it, it's not a particularly profound one, but um, Ezra is not worrying and looking at his hands. His, his whole awareness is of God's hands. To do God's hands. And you can tell that because it comes so many times throughout these two chapters. His awareness is all directed towards the gracious hand of God. Have a look at that. Ezra chapter 7, in the verse 6. You see that right down at the bottom of the page. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, 
was on it. Uh, and then in case you missed it, just three verses later, chapter 7, verse 9. Says, uh, you see that chapter 7, verse 9, right at the end of, of that verse. For the gracious hand of his God, his God notice, was on him. And which is where chapter chapter 7 ends. Uh, can you see that? Just the last sentence of chapter 7, top of page 479, right hand column. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. And then in chapter 8, Ezra's back is just against the ropes. Time and time again, there are so many problems. And if you've had a week like that, the problems just pile up. Plus, you can deal with them. Um, you can't find any Levites. He needs Levites to go back with him. And you can't find any who has to go looking for them. Um, and, and, and just added to that problem, he's got to transport millions of pounds worth of gold. Have you seen uh, gold and silver? Seen the footnotes that were on page 479? That is about 3.4 metric tons. That's a decent amount. Okay, and he hasn't got a brink smack bullion van that he can drive across the, across the desert. What's the reassurance for? Turn over the Chapter 8, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. How does it begin? You, you know by now how it's going to begin. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us. They brought us Sherebiah, a capable man. He's the first Levite to turn up. And then um, chapter 8, verse 31. How's the journey going to go? Carrying a load of precious metal. How's it going to work out? Chapter 8, verse 31. You know what it's going to say, don't you? On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us. And he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. God's provision was there. His gracious hand is there traveling from By the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God. Humble obedience. If, if we're to be obedient, we will need a humble dependence on God's gracious hands. It's funny, isn't it? It's the first thing we're taught as, as, as a young Christian uh, that God will look after us. And it's the first thing that goes out the window when the pressure starts to, starts to mount. Christ-likeness. If you take away two words from that, Ezra chapter 7 and 8, remember those two. Dependent Christ-likeness. That's what we've been taught in these two chapters. Oh, how I hope we can have some prayer meetings 
in the year ahead for the characterized by those two words. Dependent constant is the component of what's given by rests our whole weight on the God of the Bible who loves to look after us by his gracious hand. Dependent constant is God's rebuilding work. He's not complete until people have learned to obey him and to trust him. Understand that as we seek to be a church that reflects our holy God, joy and cheer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Ezra's willingness not only to know your word deeply, but to do it and to teach it. And we ask, Father, that we would be people who um, drink in your word day by day and then. Do what it says. Um, Father, I pray you show us our blind spots. Um, many parts of our lives we haven't yet submitted to your word. I pray you challenge us. Um, show us where we might have missed. Help us then to come back. I pray to you, Father, we would, we would teach your word to other people. We just take every opportunity to, um, to let let. The things that we know from your word come into our conversation, come into our prayers. And then I ask, Father, that we would have a humble dependence on you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he spoke your word constantly. Thank you that he taught as one with authority. Thank you that he commissioned us to teach others to obey his commands. So we pray, Father, that part of our response to his sacrifice would be to to live a, an obedient, a holy life that reflects your character to our, to our watching world. Please, Father, transform us in that way, we ask. In Jesus' name.